You're listening to The Good GP, the podcast for busy GPs. Hello and welcome to The Good GP, the education podcast for busy GPs. Today's episode is a review of syphilis. My guest today is Dr. Grace Foire, who works for the Metropolitan Communicable Diseases Control in Western Australia, and she's currently working with the public health team on the current syphilis outbreak in WA. Grace, a very warm welcome to you. Thank you for coming. Thank you so much for having me. Grace, we did an episode around syphilis in 2019, and I think it's really important that you're here today because a lot's changed in syphilis, not just in WA, but in Australia. So can you take us through the changes around the current syphilis outbreak? Yes, absolutely. In 2019, you hosted the very lovely Donna Mack. And at that time, she highlighted three groups of concern, three groups in which syphilis was rising. She talked about the men who have sex with men, or sometimes we refer to them as the MSM. She referred to Aboriginal people, particularly from remote areas, and she referred to heterosexual people. She kind of talked about this being a more recent increase, and she actually said that there is a potential for vertical transmission. The unfortunate thing is that that foreshadowing has turned into reality and we have seen rising numbers of syphilis in women. And because of the risk of vertical transmission, we've been particularly interested in monitoring the numbers in women of childbearing age. And I can tell you that, you know, at the moment, the rates in men who have sex with men are thankfully fairly stable. There has been an increase in rates amongst Aboriginal people, but in 2021, we saw a slight drop in cases, which of course is not the be-all and end-all because there's still a lot of work to be done in that area, but at least that's encouraging. But among women of childbearing age, the 2021 numbers in Perth represented an 18-fold increase since 2015. And as a natural consequence of that, of course, is that we're seeing increasing cases of syphilis in pregnancy, and cases of congenital syphilis. And in fact, since 2018, we've had six cases of congenital syphilis in Perth. And to put that into context, in the decade prior to 2018, we had, I think, one. So it is quite sobering. And I know that we have an audience from around the world. And I can unfortunately also say that there are syphilis outbreaks in regions of Queensland, Northern Territory, South Australia, Victoria. And for some years now, syphilis rates have been rising in other developed countries in the world like New Zealand, Canada, the US and the UK. Yeah, it's a really worrying trend. We're seeing a change in almost the demography of syphilis is what you're saying. Yes. Um, And it it is really sort of crossing perhaps the traditional boundaries of what where we would sort of think about syphilis. I think that's really important for GPs because Perhaps for a lot of GPs, they've thought about testing for syphilis only in certain situations. Absolutely. And we probably need to be thinking more broadly around that. Yeah, that's spot on. Great. Well, let's talk about the ways that syphilis can present. So can we do a review of the symptomatic and perhaps the asymptomatic presentations of syphilis? Yes, exactly right. There's the textbook way that syphilis presents and then there's the fact that it's called the Great Masquerader because of all the ways it likes to buck its own textbook presentation and be mistaken for a whole lot of other things. So we have to consider both of these things at the same time, really. So a quick you know, recap of syphilis. Typically, a primary stage would start around three to four weeks after sexual contact, and what you would see is an ulcer, we call that a shankar, at the site of sexual contact. So it could be a genital, an anal, or an oral ulcer. 
Typically, it's a single painless ulcer, but it can definitely be painful. It can definitely be multiple. It can definitely, and has been mistaken for herpes simplex. Now left untouched, the ulcer will actually self-resolve. So you can imagine that a single painless ulcer in the folds of the labia might very easily be missed. And then a few months after they contract syphilis, they can move into the secondary stage. Now the secondary stage are also a kind of wide ranging manifestations, including flu-like type symptoms, fever, lymphadenopathy, fatigue, aches and pains. They can get a rash. Again, typically it's rash on the palms and soles of the feet, but it can be truncal. It can look completely different to what they show you in the textbooks. Uh, you can get patchy alopecia in your scalp, your eyebrows. There's varied neurological manifestations. And so you can see that this can all be quite easily mistaken for something else, but also a lot of these symptoms will also self-resolve. So if they're just blamed on something else, you could have really thought that they had no symptoms of syphilis to begin with. Then they will slip into a latent phase where they have no symptoms, but still be infectious. And obviously that's very concerning. And at about the two year stage, two years after they contract syphilis, they stop being infectious. And if they're left untreated for many years, then down the track, about a third of people might develop tertiary syphilis, which thankfully at the moment is still quite rare, but there are significant cardiac, neurological and, and other complications that can occur then. Of course, we need to mention vertical transmission, which is a significant risk during those first couple of years that a person is infectious. And congenital syphilis really can cause miscarriage, stillbirth, preterm birth, congenital malformations, chronic neurological development problems, really very tragic consequences. Yeah, so lots to think about there in terms of the presentations. So thinking through perhaps the ulcer which gets missed, particularly oral ulcers, which are you know common, genital ulcers, and then as it's you sort of spread to sort of more systemic symptoms, they're very vague, aren't they? Yeah. Sort of tiredness, body aches and pains, and a rash which can really be polymorphic and quite confusing. Yes. So you can see why it gets missed really easily. Absolutely. We'll talk about now congenital syphilis, which is really troubling. Can you give us a little more background on why it happens and what can be done? Yes, I agree. It is, it is troubling, especially if syphilis is treatable and preventable. But unfortunately, I think it does fly under the radar. A lot of people still think of syphilis as a historical disease. So a lot of work has been happening around WA and around Australia on how we can raise awareness of syphilis and improve detection and treatment and prevent congenital syphilis. In mid-2020, new antenatal guidelines for syphilis testing were adopted across WA. So now, at a minimum, syphilis screening is recommended for all pregnant women at booking at 28 weeks and at 36 weeks. For women in regions such as Kimberley, Pilbara and Goldfields, screening is also recommended at delivery and six weeks postpartum. And of course, if there are additional risk factors, so if your pregnant patient has had new sexual contact or perhaps they've had a history of unstable accommodation, these might be reasons to prompt you to do another syphilis test. 
I can tell you that, you know, amongst the recent cases of congenital syphilis that we've had in Perth, that some of these mothers have actually had negative syphilis serology on their booking bloods. Mm. So this is the reason why we've introduced the increased screening and we would encourage GPs to have a low threshold to test. On the flip side, if you diagnose syphilis and your patient is a woman of childbearing age, we would ask you to please do a pregnancy test to exclude that possibility. And of course, on the community front, there have been a number of statewide and national campaigns to raise awareness of syphilis, to normalise testing, try to increase the dialogue on sexual health and, you know, encourage testing, even if people have regular partners. Yeah. So on that topic of syphilis detection, you've talked about some of the great ideas about improving detection, but you know, what do you think GPs can do to improve their detection? Because I think if you spoke to a lot of GPs and you said, when did you detect your last case of syphilis? For a lot of us, it wouldn't be a frequent sort of thing. So it's out of mind and perhaps not front and centre. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess the first thing to say is Thank you again for hosting me on this podcast because it's important for us to talk about it, to be aware of it, to talk to our colleagues about it. And obviously GPs won't test if they're not aware that it's a problem. It probably doesn't help that the syphilis outbreak was declared in the middle of the COVID pandemic, which is, of course, still going, but so is syphilis. So the more we can talk about it, you know, the more GPs can remember to Think about syphilis when they're working out an undifferentiated illness. You know, we all see so many fatigued patients. We see people with lots of undifferentiated symptoms that we can't quite put together. And if you're doing a blood workup at a syphilis screen, in an outbreak setting, it is really appropriate to swab any ulcer, genital, oral or anal, and ask for a syphilis PCR on your pathology form. That's something that, you know, some GPs were not aware you could do. And when you're doing an STD screen, if you're doing a low-risk screen and previously you might have just done a chlamydia and and maybe a gonorrhea urine test, add syphilis serology. Talk to your patients about this possibility and the fact that we're now screening everyone with syphilis as part of a standard STD screen. And just remember that if you do have a strong suspicion for syphilis and your initial serology is negative, repeat it after two weeks. Mm. Yeah, so think about it when we're screening for STIs or STDs. Try and avoid just doing urine PCR tests because we're, we're talking about a treatable condition. So, you know, try and make sure that people get some comprehensive serology. Think about it in undifferentiated sort of unwell patients as, as yeah. a possibility, I think, which is probably what a lot of us don't do. Yeah. So finally, can we just review syphilis treatment and talk about what GPs can do to make their management easier? It's often seen as... A bit of a, because uh, we don't treat it often, a bit of a tricky condition to, to treat, so. Yeah, absolutely. The gold standard treatment for syphilis is long-acting intramuscular benzophene penicillin. And the great news is that it is available through the prescriber bag and all GP practices can have it stocked in the fridge ready to go. It comes in these pre-filled syringes of 1.2 million units each. And the treatment dose is 2.4 million units, which is two pre-filled syringes. And if you're treating a patient, if you have a practice nurse, then you can both be giving one injection each at the same time. Now, we've had problems with some GPs giving out prescriptions. Unfortunately, this is not something that's stocked at community pharmacies. So we would encourage you to just keep it stocked in your fridge and not give out prescriptions. If you know that your patient has contracted syphilis within the last two years, then it's just that stat dose. It's quite easy. 
if there's any question about whether they've had syphilis for longer than two years, then they actually need three doses over three weeks. And this is where it might get a little bit complicated and you can always speak to your local sexual health physician for advice. I'm just going to ask you that, three doses of 1.2 across three weeks? It's three doses of 2.4 million yep. units once a week over three weeks. Right. Now, inevitably, I get asked then, what about those who are allergic to penicillin? Unfortunately, you know, penicillin is actually the best treatment we have. And so in the first instance, we would ask you to really explore whether the patient has a true penicillin allergy. And if they do, then we would ask you to get advice from your local sexual health physician about the suitability of doxycycline as an alternative. But where we can, we really try to give penicillin. There are kind of a couple of other arms of good syphilis management. You know, we've talked about the antibiotics. The second arm really is good contact tracing. Obviously, you want to try and find out who else in their circle could have syphilis uh, and you want to try and treat them for it. This is where it can be complicated if they've had more than one sexual partner or if you don't know how long they've had it for and you're tracing back for a little while, but you can get help from your local public health unit about this. And the last really to syphilis management is, is follow-up and you kind of need to set up the follow-up on the day that you treat them. Give them their penicillin, you ask them to do another syphilis RPR test. That RPR is your baseline of disease activity and when you recall your patient at three and six months to repeat their RPR, you're looking for a fourfold decrease in TETA from that baseline. And that demonstrates to you successful treatment. So it's quite complex and there's a little bit to think about, but very manageable from general practice. I do think so. I think the first thing really is to make sure you have benzene penicillin. And that way, if you have a diagnosis, if you have a named contact of infectious syphilis, we would advise you to give empirical treatment, don't wait for results, test and then treat them there and then. And then, as I said, you can always ask for help from your local sexual health physician or your local public health unit. That's fantastic, Grace. So before we started the episode, we talked around some take-home messages for GPs. There's perhaps two really important take-home messages. Number one, think about syphilis as a diagnosis Try and test and screen for it more actively. Speak to your colleagues as well because GPs perhaps just need to be reminded that, that there is a syphilis outbreak going on and that it is a preventable condition that makes a meaningful difference to treat early. So if we can just talk to our colleagues and remind them that syphilis screening is essential to STI testing, pregnancy screening and you know thinking about it in undifferentiated unwell people. And then secondly, that benzathine penicillin is now available for the doctor's bag and we would really strongly recommend that you talk to your practice nurse, your practice manager, whoever orders your doctor's bag and apply to have that stored in your fridge. You know, it's really useful to have it there. Unfortunately, with syphilis patients, they're often, let's say, new patients who sort of come as a one-off. You don't know that you're going to be able to sort of follow them up if they disappear out the door. So being able to treat them quickly and readily is really important. Absolutely, that's spot on, Tim. Super. So, Grace, thank you so much for coming in today and thanks for recording the episode with us. It's my pleasure. Thank you. 